Welcome to our very first episode on our brand new podcast, Credit Where It's Due, a podcast focusing on emerging trends in the credit-related space. Now I'm back with my lovely lady, and we also have our very first guest speaker, Vinay Samani. Hi, everyone. I am super excited about this episode because you know what? Usually when we work with Vinay, he asks us a lot of questions, and this is our turn <laughs> to put him in the hot seat. But before that, we have a question for our audience: How was the first credit transaction believed to have been recorded? Stick around, and we'll reveal the answer at the end of the episode. So, without further ado, welcome Vinay. Hey, Vinay. So look, many of you will know Vinay very, very well. I'm sure lots of you watching have worked with him. He is renowned for fixing all problems for his clients, which is evidenced by this beautiful sign, fixer of everything, which he uh, is forced by us to keep on his desk at all times. So thank you for joining us today, Vinay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure, yeah. Thank you very much for having me on your very first vodcast. Um, so, uh, as Diana said, I am a partner in the Druitas and Structured Products team at Linklaters, based in London. Um, I've been at the firm for over 30 years now, so a fair amount of time. Um, and these days, my focus is fundamentally on a whole range of OTC derivatives, uh, repackagings and structured finance more generally. I guess because this is a credit-based vodcast, I need to say a little bit about the fact that I have a specialist interest in credit insurance wrapped transactions. Okay, fabulous. Well, you're right. We are focusing on all things credit here. So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about those transactions, what they involve, what the audience should should be aware about, aware of. I was hoping that you'd ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, credit insurance wrapped transactions. I, it's, it's it's maybe it's not quite not quite right to say credit insurance wrapped because it's credit wrapped transactions, including other forms of of, of uh, credit enhancement like guarantees as well. And in the structured finance space, these are transactions which are essentially a, a, an enhanced repackaging. So it's where you have a primary or a secondary market obligation. That can be a primary loan, a secondary market bond, put into a vehicle uh, in similar manner to how a normal repackaging operates, apart from the fact that you have some kind of credit enhancement that's added. And that is through the provision of, a, of insurance or through a guarantee. Um, and that's, that's generally provided either at the underlying asset level or it can be provided at the overlying note level. And we've seen a number of these transactions executed over the, the last kind of five, seven years. Um, and it's a really interesting, exciting space that I think is going to be developing pretty fast over the, the coming five, seven years as well. I mean, we've been working together, I think, more recently in the last two years on these transactions, and there has been an uptake. But if you had to think of the first credit wrap deal that you worked on, is this something that was long back? Has this concept always been around? Through the concept, this is, this is, not, this is nothing new. This has been around. Credit uh, wrap transactions have been around for a very long time. So pre-financial crisis, we worked on lots of monoline wrap deals, and the monoline wrap transactions uh, took the, the conventional repackaging architecture. Um, typically, uh, we would have a monoline wrap um, at three levels, in fact. They would provide a financial guarantee for the underlying asset, financial guarantee for the swap obligation from the vehicle to the swap counterparty, and then also a, a financial guarantee for the notes that are issued by the SPV itself. So as that as a concept has been around for a long time. Um, those deals 
we did lots of them pre-financial crisis, but post Lehman, they, for obvious reasons, they, they completely disappeared. There is revival of interest in these types of transactions again. And that's it, typically now we're looking at a secondary market asset that is wrapped by the, the monoline. The other than finance, finance institutions have been providing um, wraps in the project finance space for a very long time. Um, but in the last decade or so, there's been a development in the uh, capital market space because there's a movement away from uh, for borrowers, particularly kind of emerging market, um, lower economically developed borrowers, from getting funding just from the, the multilaterals and the supranationals. They want to diversify that away so that their funding is from private sources as well, which means that you're looking at, at European and Asian and US insurers, pension funds and the like, providing funding to um, these emerging market credits. Now, it's very difficult for um, a, a typical uh, European insurer, for example, um, to buy pure emerging market credit. And so they need some kind of credit enhancement. And therefore, what we've seen is these multilateral development banks, the DFIs, the likes of MEGA, ATI, IDA, providing some kind of credit enhancement for the underlying borrower which means that a, a UK insurer, pension fund, et cetera, can buy into this product because it has the requisite credit worthiness for them to yeah. buy into. Okay, so it looks like we are going to continue to see an increase in demand uh, for these type of products. And I think based on the work that you know we've done so far, these are extremely complicated products and uh, definitely very time consuming. Um, so I suppose the question that everyone will want to know is why now, why are we talking about this now? Okay, it's been around, but is this trend set to continue? Will it increase? Where do you see the market going? Yeah, and a really good question because the, the point is that yeah, it, the technology has been around for a long time, but, but it's the transition. There's two points I think to make. One is that it's a transition uh, for a lot of the, the borrowers from relying on the, the supranationals and the multilateral um, banks to, 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 for their funding sources. It's the move from, from these public sources to private investment. That's one key element. The second element, I think, is that um, all of this is happening at a time when ESG is in focus. ESG is fundamentally important now for the entire investor community. That includes our typical fixed income investor base, and that's you know insurance companies, pension funds, asset managers, uh, and funds more generally, where they're looking to have some kind of ESG credit for the investments that they're making. And the nice thing about these particular products, particularly the DFI-wrapped products, is that um, they often tick uh, one or more of the ESG limbs. To give you an example, um, we've done transactions where the use of proceeds for the ultimate borrowing uh, were for building schools in a particular country or, or building hospitals or that type of, of really good um, social or governance. We've had a governance one which, where we had a borrower um, who passed some anti-corruption legislation. So these types of attributes to the borrowing really um, are helpful for, for that investor base. And as a result, I do think that this is why we're seeing uh, an increase and an uptick in, in these products.
And those instruments are instruments, of course, that the investors are used to purchasing anyway, so it's just an added layer for them to tick their own boxes. C correct, that's exactly right. I mean, in theory, there's nothing stopping an insurer um, lending directly under a, a loan to the emerging market borrower. Um, however, typically what we found is that, um, uh, and, and this is particularly the case in, in Europe and, and to, to a degree in Asia as well, um, that invest, this particular investor base is very used to buying fixed income investment products, which are transferable securities, and they want to see the same thing in this instance. They want a transferable security. Oftentimes it gives them some, some better credit for their, um, their internal purposes. Okay, I mean that's good news from our side, right? We continue to uh, be employed, get more work, and help the world become a slightly better place. So that all sounds good. Not, not just ours, actually. This is the, it's absolutely right. This is a, I think this is part of a, a, a wider move towards an increase in capital markets, right? It's um, uh, if you look at the, the the U.S., that is much more funding in the U.S. is much more driven through the capital markets and l less so by the by the banking. Uh, industry, or at least the balance is is slightly different in Europe. It's um, it's much more bank focused at the moment, but there is a drive to to make um, the capital markets more a source of funding, and so I think it's this is good news not just for lawyers involved in these products, um, yeah, and that that includes structured finance lawyers, but also banking lawyers because a lot of the uh, the lending is done, particularly the primary primary market lending is done in you know, through bespoke bilateral loans, not even LMA form, but bespoke bilateral loans. Um, uh, insurance, because if the, the form of credit wrap is through an insurance policy, we need to involve our insurance specialists as well. So there's a number of different um, types of lawyers involved, but it's, it's, we shouldn't focus on, I know this is um, much, uh, yeah, a broader uh, uh, vodcast, and so it's not just about the lawyers, it's also about the the investment bankers who are organising and arranging these structures, they are complicated structures, you've said that already, and, and you're bringing together um, uh, disparate views of investors who want a particular type of exposure uh, and are willing to take on a particular type of credit risk. You're bringing together the borrowers who have their own needs to meet, uh, and then also the credit wrap providers, whether that's, that's um, uh, insurance wrap providers or, or, or um, or guarantee providers, and all of them have different points of view. So it needs to have a sophisticated investment bank who is bringing together these three elements and corralling everybody into the, into the right place for, the, for a transaction to happen. So they are complicated deals, they're difficult deals, but they're really fun deals to work on. Yeah, I can agree with that. I think it's the nice experience having all our different teams together in Linklater's, you know, across jurisdictions coming together and working on these products. So um, that's that's really fun. So um, I guess that makes you the go-to man uh, for any of these deals. Audience, do keep that in mind. Uh, if there's a credit wrap deal that you are structuring or planning on investing in. Now, perhaps if we move on to um, our next segment, uh, which is our rapid fire. My favourite segment. Uh, lucky you, Vinay, we get to ask you the questions now. Okay. So I'm going to start. Do you prefer playing cricket or watching your sons play cricket? Watching sons. And do you prefer to be a rainmaker or being a mentor? Oh, that's a really difficult one. You are my mentor. Me too. That's true. Uh, mentor. I love being a mentor. Oh, oh, correct. Right. Just in time. <laughs> yeah, good save. 
And the most important, final but most important one, what do you prefer, Christmas or Easter? Easter. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you said that to a piece. <laughs> yeah, but um, Leanne's right. Vinay is the fixer of everything, and that plaque was uh, kindly gifted to him by um, another managing associate in our department, Edmund Lung, who some of you some of you would be familiar with. He also does quite a bit of work on the repack side in the credit space. Now, I would also add that other people who work with us are James Joseph JJ and Jennifer Chan JC. Now, why am I abbreviating their names? For entertainment purposes only. They are not going to like this. But anyway, I think that brings us to the next segment of our podcast. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thanks very much, Vinay, for being with us today. And now we've got Ash News Fresh, which Ash is going to tell us something new about the credit market. So over to you, Ash. Thanks, Christy. So for my first news flash, I'm going to talk to you about the casino credit event saga, which is currently working its way through the Amir Credit Derivatives Determinations Committee. So casino is a French supermarket chain. It's found itself in some financial distress. And in May, it initiated a conciliation procedure, which is under French law, a court supervised negotiation with its creditors. And since it did that, several questions, and I say several, the number is now up to 10, which I think must be some kind of record. So several questions have gone into the DC asking whether that conciliation procedure and subsequent actions taken under it constitute a bankruptcy credit event or a failure to pay credit event. So let's look at the bankruptcy credit event question first. Here, the DC went back and looked through a previous line of decisions that it had made as to whether certain national pre-insolvency proceedings would constitute a bankruptcy credit event. And it really boils down to the question, to what extent are creditors' rights being impaired? So the DC will look at things like, is there an automatic moratorium? Is there a general stay on enforcement? Uh, to, uh, are all creditors bound or just some? Um, and in the case of Casino, the DC concluded that the conciliation didn't go far enough to trigger the bankruptcy credit event. So turning to the failure to pay credit event, well, eight separate questions have been submitted on that one, but most of them boil down to the same question. And that is, in announcing that it would be deferring certain tax and social security payments, has Casino cross-accelerated some of its notes and therefore triggered the failure to pay? And the DC has said here, actually, we don't feel like we have enough publicly available information to confirm that. So what it did have was the announcement by the company and the conciliators that it would be deferring those payments. But what it doesn't have is factual information confirming uh, what those payments were, when they were due, um, confirmation that a cross acceleration of the notes has actually occurred. And for that, you'd expect something like a stock exchange announcement. The DC said, we don't have any of that. And that really shows um, the high bar that the DC sets, and we've seen this in previous decisions, um, in terms of the amount of publicly available information that it needs before it confirm, can confirm the existence of the credit event. 
So where are we now? Um, at the time of recording, another question went into the DC last week as to whether a failure to pay has occurred with new information. So the DC is currently considering that. Um, at, the, <laughs> at the time you watch this, maybe they've come to a conclusion. Uh, but in the meantime, it seems like plenty of people are willing to take a gamble on Casino. So let's see whether it pays off. Thank you very much, Ash. We are coming to the end of our episode. And it is something that everyone gets really excited about, which is revealing the answer to the trivia question. So how do you think the first credit transaction was recorded? If you guessed it was recorded on clay tablets, you're spot on. So actually, believe it or not, the historians discovered that over 5,000 years ago, people used clay tablets to record taxes that farmers promised to pay by the end of the year based on the expected crop yields. So I'm so glad that we're not itching the contracts on clay tablets nowadays <laughs> and just typing on keyboards. That would be a lot of work. Exactly. And uh, on that note, big shout out to Greg from BPL, who actually suggested the book, which is one of the sources for this piece of information. And uh, audience, that's a wrap for this one. We'll be back with our next episode soon. So signing off for today. Bye-bye.